This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. everyone and welcome to chapter tactics your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game i'm your host pd pob i have jeff and val with me today and today we're going to be talking about four majors that happened this weekend which is pretty huge i'm, I'm pretty excited to dig into those lists and uh, what you guys are probably waiting on with bated breath the atc 40k championships controversy uh, now, I, I want to preface all of this uh, with first saying that I had actually pre-recorded my intro uh, a little bit earlier before this recording, and um, I, I'm just, I'm just going to be honest, uh, I was I, I got caught up in the hype um, with the ATC, uh, you know, I, I listened to a lot of the information that was told to me secondhand, uh, and then in the middle of recording, uh, while we were recording this podcast, the ATC released a statement. And so after reading the statement, I decided to re-record the intro um, to be more in line with and more accurate with what their statement was uh, regarding the the uh, Team Happy being thrown out of the ATC, which which is basically what all this is about. Um, which is uh, Team Happy was thrown was uh, disqualified from the ATC, and um, as according to the ATC statement, which which I'm just gonna uh, quickly kind of gloss over here, uh, basically the ATC have have uh, policies on their website in the mission pack regarding guidelines and fairness to all players involved. Uh, and then Val a couple times and later on the podcast is going to mention, uh, kind of allude to to uh, TOs not having guidelines. And I think overall he's correct. We do need more guidelines from TOs to help them with situations like this. Though it is important to note that ATC did have guidelines in place. And though they admitted their slow play policy, um, could use some refining. Uh, overall, I, I am very happy with the way they handled the situation, and I'm also happy with the way Team Happy handled the situation as well, too. So overall, I think everything is a lot more tame um, and uh, a lot less messy than what a lot of the people online will have you believe. Uh, so moving on, um, what happened at the ATC regarding Team Happy was uh, round three, a uh, player was using an illegal model, um, which they... Uh, that was brought to their attention and then their policies they issued a warning and i think uh a round two game loss so it was a warning and then a game loss according to their policies uh because of this model and then there were there were some uh some i guess some problems with pairings and all that uh and so so they kind of addressed that a little bit later than than they wanted to or or not immediately essentially uh and then during round three uh there was there was a kind of like a 
I, I guess I guess uh, not incident, but there you know there was some um, what they said the players were running on high emotions and attitudes were in poor form, um, but no at no point did any player from Team Happy cuss out a head judge, um, which the ATC Shane Grubb said or, or I guess whoever runs their their statements um, said that if he had they would have been kicked out. So the cursing rumor that you heard around is actually incorrect. Uh, and then finally, the reason why they were banned, which is which is after a 30-minute conversation with the team captain Tony Grappando, um, the basically Team Happy was given a uh, don't no more mistakes, three strikes you're out kind of uh, ultimatum from from the ATC, which I think is fair, right? Like, listen, you guys are you guys are causing problems. Or not, but these models, you, you guys are breaking our policies, basically. Um, and if anything else comes up, we're, we're going to have to ask you to leave the event. Um, which, of course, something happened because obviously Team Happy was disqualified. Uh, so during the fourth round, which is the the last day, the last round of day two, um, there was uh, some soap play talk, uh, which, which uh, didn't actually break any of their policies. So there wasn't actually slow playing going on, and then there was a model infraction, um, which which basically led to their their intermination. So it was like a model conversion infraction, and I believe that's where the alligators writing the the alligator deathcore Krieg models or whatever. Um, I'm not sure exactly the details. They didn't say in the statement, uh, but basically, long story short, the ATC followed their policies to the letter, and and none of the other stuff the wild stuff that you're hearing actually had any effect of it. So like the 18 letters, the letters to the ATC thing and, and the people threatening to leave and, and the cursing, the judge, um, the, the imaginary plasma pistol, all that stuff is ultimately not what the ATC brought up. The ATC for has reasons to, to disqualify team happy. It was just based off of what they said. So anything you guys are hearing, um, remember it's all secondhand knowledge. Uh, I'm like I said, I myself fell prey to the secondhand knowledge, uh, hype train. That was the, um, the, uh, team happy bashing online, which I'm sure you'll see a lot of, uh, though. I do want to call out team happy. Uh, you know, I know, I know that you guys, you guys, uh, did your best. I know that you guys are going to get a lot of flack online from a lot of people. Um, but I would like to say that, you know, with in the competitive 40k environment that we're in right now, every every top player, um, every player on top tables is going to be under a magnifying glass, um, and heavily scrutinized. Uh, so so in this kind of in this kind of atmosphere, I, I think it's very important for you not to to roll the dice on model conversions, uh, or anything of that sort. Like so. So, um, Team Happy, you know, you guys probably, you guys probably should have just, you know, not, not brought those models and, and my daughter agrees with me. So, um, that's it. Just, you know, I just wanted to call you guys out. If you guys, if you guys are in the future planning on running events, if you're like a Sean Naden, like for example, Sean Naden and his Sylvaneth Eldar might not fly right now in this competitive 40k environment because of, uh, the nature of people talking right now. So... So that's basically it. I just I wanted to call out. I wanted to call you guys out. Um, I know you guys are going to receive a lot of flack online, um, and a lot of it's going to be unjustified. And your names are going to be run through the mud, especially Tony Grappando, um, who obviously after the LVO incident, um, your name is linked to two large, uh, major 40k tournament controversies. Um, but you know, let this be a warning to everyone who who is a top player.
you know, the just be careful. Don't don't run the silly models. You know, try try to act um, <clears throat> like a perfectly role mo- perfect role model 40k player. Basically, that's it. Um, so, uh, Team Happy, you know, uh, congratulations on winning three times a year in a row. Um, you guys are all great guys. You guys are all great players. Um, but this happened, and it sucks. And I'm sure you guys agree with me in saying that. You know, it's I think it's fair um, what the AT the way the ATC handled the situation. Um, and you guys, you guys, uh, unfortunately, just got got the ban hammer, got the DQ, which is just the way it goes sometimes. Um, but anyways. Just want to do uh, say that real quick. Uh, we're gonna kick it over to Val, um, and we're gonna start off where my where my intro ended in the podcast, and then we're gonna do the rest of the podcast from there. And uh, I put Barrison to sleep. No, thanks, Team he, Happy. He's always in that state. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry for I'm sorry for leading off of the rant, guys. I'm sure you guys. Don't tune in for that stuff. I never call out people on this podcast. I really don't. Like I know, I know, I know. I occasionally get comments saying I do, but I do my absolute best not to call people out. But um, team happy. Like it's, it, anyways. Uh, Val, Jeff. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Sorry, I'm. Uh, I'm just processing a little bit. I think whether or not you know, you or this podcast calls out people specifically. I mean, the fact of the matter is there are places. They get far more views, far more clicks, um, drive way more debate than this podcast ever could hope to. And that's what always steals the headlines from these great events. And I think that's what, I think ultimately that's what sucks is like we're at like peak 40K right now. There are uh, more people attending. The excitement is higher than it's ever been. The Mm -hmm. attention being paid is higher than it's ever been. And it just, it sucks to me, although drama is fun. It gives us something to talk about in some cases. Um, it sucks that this has been the narrative after, you know, three of the four biggest events of the year so far. So, yeah, I don't know. I I, I wasn't there, unfortunately. You know, I've only, only read the scuttlebutt so far. I don't want to cop out entirely. Um, it sucks that these, you know, at least some of the players involved, you know, have come up in these things, in these type of conversations before. Um, you know, what happens from here, I think, come, goes back to um, putting some more power in the, you know, the hands of TOs to... And I think the community wants that to be able to deal with this, these types of situations as they arise. I think you saw that on the floor at the ATC this past weekend where, you know, a lot of the other teams were like, we're not going to take this shit. Whether or not they were right, um, and perhaps they were, to, to say that, that they wanted, you know, I've heard things like, you know, people having a captain's petition saying, you know, we're going to drop out if, if this stuff isn't uh, addressed, you know, kind of forced uh, the TOs to actually take some action, and I think that's unfortunate. I think TOs should have a have have a playbook in hand in advance, and also players shouldn't force TOs to be in this position. It's all pretty regrettable. Yeah, and and I, I didn't I didn't I meant to say this. Uh, the the ATC TOs Shane Grubb, uh, you guys did a great job handling this. I I think I think you guys were put in a rough spot, and um, you know I actually I think after reading through all the events that happened and watching kind of the outcome and the backlash. I think that all the parties, even team happy handled it better than I expected. Uh, you know, uh, team happy. They didn't, they didn't cry. They didn't complain. You know, they kind of took it on the chin and, um, their only real, uh, complaint was that, uh, I guess that I heard was that 
they weren't informed the day before, um, and they were informed at the beginning of day three, uh, which I think is probably fair, right? Like, I think if you're the HCTO, like, you know, maybe tell them the, uh, at the end of the second day, though I, I'm not, I don't feel too much sympathy for them, you know? Um, but that's, that's pretty much it. That's, that's, uh, you guys all handled it really well. Um, but unfortunately we all have to deal with the backlash now. We're going to, we're going to hear this talked about on every single 40k podcast to death and uh hopefully you listen to this one first but um if not it doesn't really matter because uh this is going to be the narrative for the next week and this will probably be the narrative until etc uh which is at the end of the month i mean i guess i guess until the bao which is which is probably uh, i don't know if it's big enough to to turn unless something terrible happens at the bao then it'll be frontline news <laughs> but ha ha pun um Anyways, uh, Jeff, you were you were gone and, and hosting, or I guess uh, uh, talking and and uh, talking, speeching, Paula? speeching, yeah, <laughs> speech. Uh, unfortunately, I was not I was not available, or I was not um, I didn't keep up with. It. But Jeff, Jeff was at a, a much more a much more streamlined competitive event. And uh, Jeff, what did you when you came back? What did you think about all this? Uh, okay. Um, yeah, so I was a commentator and uh, working at the WCS, which is the StarCraft II competitive circuit in Spain, which is really nice, but it was really sad because ATC is one of my favorite events. Probably my favorite event I've ever attended, actually. Um, so I was really sad to miss that. But coming home and seeing the news, um, I don't know. It didn't like er- it didn't earth shatter or shake me apart or something like that. I, I kind of see a continuum that's occurring here where... There's two sides. There's the there's the typical Warhammer thing where like we always want it to be more and more competitive. We always enjoy it when it gets bigger and bigger. And this last year or so, um, I would almost say with like the event of Tony Grappando's snafu at LVO, we're kind of realizing just how big and important it can be. Because I think Tony Grappando is a normal, normally an awesome, awesome guy, but because of the prestige and the magnitude and even to a certain degree a little bit the prize money that you can win there which at the lbo is pretty extensive elsewhere not so much um it starts to kind of create this desperate situation where people really do want to win they really really want to win and in a game with so many variables and so many different things like that sometimes you can see people to different degrees cheating um be it just by kind of bullying their opponent or straight up you know slow playing or saying things etc etc we all know that but on the other side of the coin too, Warhammer is still a fun, yes, competitive, but like mostly recreational or hobby thing that people do. So there's these two sides kind of converging into one. And with each event, I feel like a lot of the shit that's going down is because um, people are having like a tough time with those two different sides. I don't think individually there's like, we don't really have a villain, right? There's no guy who's like, Oh, I, I saw Aaron Along. There's this little girl walking to get a hot dog, and he punched her in the head just to see what would happen. Like, eh, I don't think that kind of stuff ever really happens. But with some of these guys, when they get in a heated debate or when they get in a game and they're like, shit, I might lose on turn four, so I better slow this down and get us to the bottom of turn two or three, right? Um, which, in a vacuum, or if we talk about it, it's really shitty and is certainly considered to some degree cheating. Um, it's not a bad person. It's just a person in a situation where they're going to do some really bad stuff to try and win. So more and more of this is happening. Um, so that's why I wasn't really shocked when I heard about the ATC, but I was a little bit sad that it's it's still happening. I could hear a little bit of that in what Val was talking about too, where like each big event we're having, there is 
a storyline that is dominating and it's not like what an amazing comeback game and awesome story of this guy winning it's more did you hear about this scumbag and what they did at this event so i guess that's the part that i was upset about yeah and i think and to, to focus on what you said about the uh the two sides of the coin kind of clashing um i think we're definitely in transition period um as as competitive 40k events grow and as 40k grows i think inevitably you're going to have mixing of the two sides um which which i think maybe transitions and leads to some more backlash and arguing um you know kind of like kind of like how you see the political climate in in the u.s right now kind of kind of similar but obviously in a much much smaller tinier scale um um but completely unrelated i guess but kind of Pablo. completely i mean it's there i love love... warhammer to u.s politics i'm not quite sure where we're going with that nah man i i I mean you you can i love personally drawing analogies from 40k to like and all specifically the 40k competitive scene and and just all the conversation and chatting that goes on around it to you know wider things that we see how people interact and i think jeff nailed it i think stakes have been raised it's not just Pushing toys of soldiers around like these these events are a big deal to some people. They're a big deal to all of us. We're, we're we're taking time out to talk about it on a Monday night, you know. So I think when when stakes are raised, then Jeff's absolutely right. You have you got you got human nature that comes in, in into play. I believe very strongly that strong personalities uh, can have a serious advantage in there. I think Team Happy legitimately has some people who are always going to argue their case. They're always going to argue the call. Doesn't matter how close. The pitch actually was to the hitbox or not, you know. It was, you know, they're they're going to argue with the umpire, and so I think you know you've got some some options for the umpire. First of all, have one, you know, and and give them rules to enforce. The other problem we have, I think, is we have basically a black and white scenario. You know, in sports, you have penalties of varying degrees. You have, you know, game misconducts, things that'll get you tossed. Uh, to things that'll cause a penalty within the game, you know, so like those are things that I think we should explore tough to enforce, but I think anything would be better than what we're what we've got right now, which is nothing. So you get the reason why Team Happy didn't get to find out about it, you know, the night before is because I'm sure the decision wasn't made until very late in the game, until very close to the next day, because there was this outcry, this this like mob mentality of like this person's cheated and something's got to happen same thing happened to alex harrison so i don't think yeah. that's i don't think that's fair i don't think that's fair frankly that you know people are tried in a kangaroo court because you know unlike myself these people are using their real names you know the these people are now written up on the internet all over as you know dirty cheats get throw the bums out uh, by the way i could not speak more lowly of that bulls article <clears throat> i'm sorry that we've uh, probably generated some clicks for it um, because it's nonsense, you know, this, this idea that we've got to like have a list and a blacklist and we got to go root out all the bad guys. Give me a break. What Jeff said is right. It's just that people are trying. We got some people trying way too hard, going way too far. And we have to have things in place to dial them back when they do. That's it. Once we have that kind of stuff in place, these types of situations will become much, much less frequent and we'll have the tools mm-hmm. to deal with them. And right now we got nothing. Literally yeah. nothing. We have yeah. what's in the what we have what's in the in the rule book, and that's it. You got you got a judge under a tremendous amount of pressure with literally nothing to play with, like no like other than the what's in the the rule book of forty k that got the judges at the LVO in trouble for maybe making the wrong call in the dispute with with Tony Grappando. 
You know, because they, they just had to go with, with what was, you know, they had to go with the raw, you know. They couldn't play, they couldn't call the game. They couldn't do anything. And so here you have a bunch of secondhand accounts about what Team Happy may or may not have done, all that kind of stuff. And the organizers are put in a really hard spot where it's like either these five guys go or, you know, we lose control of this tournament and people never don't come back next year. That's, that's shitty for everyone. So I don't know. I just really feel like this game's it's time to evolve. I believe I, you know, Pablo alluded to a, a post um, that uh, that Reese had put up. I'm really hopeful about it. Basically, you know, just talking about maybe building some um, uh, what, what they call floor rules around the game. I think that'd be amazing. I think it would give people a sense of a level playing field of knowing when they can like, when they can you know say something was done incorrectly and not and you know maybe just like most people will say you know you can't do that. I, it's in the rule book. If they had a rule that they could say, you can't roll dice behind that wall, they might feel more confident calling that on uh, out on their opponent and having a smoother game. So that's that's where my I just see this as very overall preventable, and I think this community will just have to grow up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, and the, those floor rules you you alluded to, uh, Val, were uh, of course a, a post Reese put in the ITC tournament groups, and basically. Um, the TOs, the ITC event organizers are working on uh, ITC-wide sanctions for players who are not conducting themselves in a manner which reflects the hobby in a positive light, and also uh, to some to work on floor rules for events to use to help instruct players and judges to handle those gray areas of the game that the core rules don't aggress. Um, you know, ethics, procedures, things like that. Things things that would have helped uh, the ATC TOs um, in moments like this, basically. Um, so they're working on it, and and hopefully, hopefully it, it pans out. I think it will. Um, and then also, t- just to just to um, kind of contradict my tone, um, it, we're emphasizing not on punishment, but a positive and proactive guidelines. Um, so so our intent ultimately isn't to ban and witch hunt, uh, but it's to to reform and and make this community better overall. So just just to lay that out there, um, so, I, I so I'm not. That too. Yeah, good. Uh, so I want to speak to something on this because kind of similar to my many moons ago rant about how we're all slow players. Like everyone needs to speed up. Everyone needs to be conscientious of that and work on that. I think another area in that kind of thought process, if you will, is we all need to hold each other pretty responsible. A lot of these stories that I hear, and I, I'm actually going to talk from the top down. Um, I think one of the natural speeches we have to give towards the end of this is being like, hey, guys, because every time any of this ever comes out, there's always people like, well, that's why I don't go to tournaments. And it's yep. like, well, you don't experience that very often. When you do, it sucks. But please don't let that ruin, you know, a potential lifelong journey of socializing and doing these awesome things. Um, uh, sorry, Anna just walked in. But um, so my point is... Some of this, a lot of this is pretty darn preventable. And a lot of this is like, it's a comes down to confidence and it comes down to Warhammer etiquette. But just like the very bare bones is have fun and treat yourself and those you're playing with with respect. So like if someone, because a couple of these stories is, I'm not going to name names, but that team in question, a guy told his opponent to shut the fuck up. He's talking to the judge. Never. Never in a million years. That doesn't mean you like fly across the table and punch the guy. You just kind of, you just... You don't have to be in that situation. If, if somebody talks to you that way or treats you that way, 
you look at them and say, I'm sorry, that's that's not why I'm here. I'm not going to, you know, that's not how I play Warhammer. Then you go to a judge and say, that guy's verbally harassing me or whatever. You can, you can get as lawyer-esque if you like, but you just don't have to put up with that. If someone shows up to the table and is talking to you that way or in the game when they're arguing with you and stuff like that, they're reading through a book and taking 10 minutes to get through it, 15 minutes. There's also stories of that going on. That's the slow play stuff people are talking about. That, too, is not really Warhammer. That's not okay. That's when you get to the point, and it's like in the book, it's actually covered this way. You either flip, a, you know, you do a dice off, the golden rule, lol, or you just come to a pretty reasonable conclusion. But if the other guy's like white-fisted iron grip holding on to it, then you say, hey, man, look, we need to get through this game. And I, that's that's what I'd like to do. Otherwise, you know, I need to call a judge over here and kind of talk about how you're slowing this down. And if a guy shows up to a table with action figures or toys from a secondhand shop that are not Warhammer at all, this if that makes you uncomfortable which it should, you, you, you get the guy the warning. You say, hey, um, that's, this is like, that's terrible. That, that's not okay. I, I, I've spent money on these models. I put a lot of time into it. took a lot of pride. You're showing up with that. If they say, look, my car caught on fire and my army blew up and this is all I could figure, you know, this is all I could get together. Then you go, okay, that's fine, man. I understand. But if they're just like, lol, I don't care. It's close enough. You want to see the real model? I got one in my bag. Then you kind of, you know, then you start to talk about it. But, just if, if something makes you unhappy or you're not having fun at a Warhammer table, nine times out of ten, that not okay feeling needs to be communicated. And I'll tell you what, the other nine times out of ten after you communicate that, most people will rectify it. They'll be like, I'm sorry. I myself have gotten too mad or testy or snarky with my opponent. And they've been like, yo, that's that's over the line. And I'll be like, you know what, I'm sorry, I apologize. And then we have a really nice game. But if they don't say anything and, and they feel like they're being steamrolled and they feel like things are not cool most of the time they go home get online and start talking about how terrible it is and that's to val's point really unfair for everyone involved but really not okay for the person that's feeling upset as well yeah because that those emotions yep. get worse over time so just we as players we're going to talk about specifics we got more to talk about i'm sure but please just one of the things to take away from this warhammer is fun even if you travel if you pay money if you're on an awesome team you're a top itc competitive player that's all fine and good but until you're wearing a NASCAR jacket with your seven sponsors and you, you've got, you know, uh, a salary and crazy stuff like that, you don't have to put up with a lot of shit. And, and the shit that you will get dished out, most of that, and I mean this seriously, most of that goes away when you just say to the person, please don't do that. That's it. Yeah. End of my rant. No, I think that's a good rant. I mean, there's a lot of life-affirming moments that you get at a tournament. And just standing up for yourself, even a little bit in a polite way is is huge and yeah maybe maybe brings a lot of this type of shit to a head probably not in this particular scenario yeah um you know these you know i don't know um but probably, it, but probably not in this particular scenario have. but yes yeah, so i think in general nine times out of ten like you said yeah absolutely that's gonna put an end to it a lot of their opponents are people like i i guess i will throw this name out there but one of the stories that i heard was from Frankie um, in dealing with this and something that, and he, he did a much better job of like kind of standing up for his feelings and, and stuff and it went better. But if you don't do that at all and just kind of like get all huffy and puffy and get away from the table and are really upset, um, it's just going to suck and it's going to snowball is I guess the point I'm trying to make. And, and like, I'm okay with talking about guidelines and TOs and a lot of the advice that comes out online is people like, there needs to be a judge at every table and TOs need to have this 17 page booklet on player etiquette and that needs to be published online and i don't disagree with any of those points but i feel like that's all really secondary to just players going to a tournament 
and understanding that if someone's pe- like treating them really poorly, yeah, they are the first line of defense. They have to say, please don't do that. This and they is always will be comfortable, etc. Because I, because I'll tell you, I've gone to a lot of tournaments, and I would tell you, the very much so common reaction is nothing. Is I maybe mention it after the game to a judge that I didn't like that, mm-hmm. or I go talk shit, or I go tell somebody like that team's got a, a bunch of booger butts on there, and I don't really like them, and and that's okay. But that's how to use uh, Pablo's term, or not term necessarily, but I kind of like what he said. That's how we have. Some of the Alex Harrisons out there, the Aaron Alongs, these are not bad people, but they're people that have a certain reputation that no one's really standing up to. Um, at LBO round one, I had Aaron Along. So I walk over to the judges and say, I'd like a judge at my table for the entire game. And the judges say, who are you playing? And I said, Aaron Along. And they're like, absolutely. There will be a judge there the entire time. And then Matt Root stood, stood there and made it a pretty damn straight up game. And guess what? I had a nice experience with Aaron, Aaron Along for the most part. If it was just the two of us in a corner... And he's pulling some of the kind of bullshit that he does as part of his game. Maybe not. Maybe not as fun, right? Maybe Jeff has to say some disparaging things to Aaron A. Long, and maybe Aaron A. Long doesn't like it. And actually, maybe Jeff did that anyways, by the way. But <laughs> with the judge there, it's a little bit more legal, I guess. <laughs> oh. I think um, uh, I think just, you know, to, to emphasize your point, having having, you know, something like uh, you know, with floor rules, conduct, whatever it is, backing you up. Maybe we'll give people a little bit more courage to say something. I don't know. That's maybe one of my thoughts there too. Is that you will, if you if you if it's not just oh I'm I'm just you know taking this too personally or I don't want to cause a fuss or or whatever. Rather than this guy just you know swore at me and told me shut the fuck up. Um, that's like that's like a misconduct. This guy's got to be tossed. Yeah. You know? Like I think that's I think. You know that that that's to me that's that's it. Like you swear at some, you swear at your opponent, you swear at a judge. You know you lose your cool, you're tossed. I mean, in, in most sports, you're you're out, you're out of the game. You know, um, so I don't know. I think having that having that there maybe gives people a little bit more courage to stand up for themselves because they know for a fact that no, this is not how we play this game. There's no amorphous uh, social contract. You know, yeah, this, this muddy thing. It'll be uh, tough though, because Warhammer players are gonna are gonna they're gonna game stuff. So I mean, you, sure. you write up the contract. It doesn't mean you don't. It just means that when you when you make those rules, they're gonna get around it in some way yeah. or another. You're so gonna argue calls. Some and... Warhammer players. Some uh... some very specific. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go generally. Um, I think most people would would just. Anyways, that's that's no need to argue. You're right. Yeah. You're right, Jeff. Ultimately, you're right. Yeah, but I mean, no matter what, no matter what, it's going to take because there's not going to be a judge at every table. Period. Nope. Um, you know, there's just not where you know the resources of this game are. You know, for the foreseeable future. Um, so no matter what, you're going to be roughing your own games. So you know, it will start with having a little bit of backbone and the courage to say, "Hey, I'm a little uncomfortable with that," or "Going to need you to roll your dice where I can see them, please." <laughs> be a bit yep. Canadian about it. You know, like. I think uh, I think Jeff is I think I think in order for us to progress past these really ridiculous scenarios, um, I think a little bit of both are going to be in order. All right, agreed. Thank you for bringing it back down, guys. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and move on. Uh, we're going to talk about the ATC. We're going to talk about the winning teams, and we're going to talk about all of the other three. Somebody majors. won the ATC. What happened? Somebody won. Somebody won. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> it's, it's, we're not we're not done talking about the ATC guys. Whoa. 
That's um, good news. <laughs> there were four majors this weekend, uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, com- a pretty exciting time for competitive 40k when there's four majors: one in the UK, one in Australia, uh, one on the East Coast, and one on the West Coast, uh, which is which is pretty cool, I, I think. Um, uh, so we're going to talk about that uh, after a brief break. Hello, everyone. PD Pop here. To- yes. Yeah, I'm I'm talking about the po- the sponsors right now. Uh, sorry guys, my my daughter Arbella wanted to help me with this commercial. Mommy. No, it's not your commercial. It's our commercial. <laughs> you know what, kid? You're right. It's your commercial. But is it okay if I talk about our sponsors, and then you can nod your head if I sound good? Okay. Okay. So I'm here to talk about our sponsors: Frontline Gaming <laughs> and and Broken Egg Games. Frontline Gaming, of course, is uh, the eternal sponsor of Chapter Tactics, where you can find all things 40k, including FLG mats, ITC terrain, secondhand shop service, painting commissions, and so much more. Also, Broken Egg Games, if you're looking for 40k templates to help your tournament needs, along with terrain, uh, templates for other games, and other odds, trinkets, and tokens, including wound counters, etc. Everything you need to up your game to the next level. All you need to do is click on the link on frontlinegaming.org in any of the show notes and you're it, that helps out the podcast and that's it thanks very much for listening Arbella how did I do she shook her head I guess I better quit podcasting forever anyways thanks very much for listening and hope you enjoy the rest of the episode and we're back all right so let's talk about the the uh, winning team at the ATC Beast Coast uh, because I think that I think that um, they were probably my favorites to win the, the whole event, and uh, they have a stacked stacked roster of players and lists. Um, and I think I, I'm not surprised at all that they won, and I, I'm kind of glad because we we got to see kind of a, a preview of what the U.S. ETC team is going to bring to the table. Um, so uh, for those of you who don't know what the lists are, or um, Oh, we're just going to give you a quick breakdown. We had Brad Nichols with a Chaos Space Marine list. A um, lot, of, lot of cultists and, and Horty. Uh, we had the uh, the Nick Nanavati, of course, the Nick Nanavati list, the Eldar special. I guess, I guess the Inari special, Craft World Eldar Inari special. <clears throat> we had the uh, Necron list that everyone that everyone talked about and kind of kind of points to as like the the villain ETC list that you normally see with the three Tesseract belts. Um, and then we had the, oh, lost my page. Uh, we had Tony Kopak running the Astro Militarum, kind of like the, the standard guard, you know, infantry heavy list you'll see with a bunch of Hellhounds and heavy weapon teams and the, the single Knight Castellan. Um, and then we had Lucas, I'm not going to pronounce your last name, Lucas with the Dark Eldar, the Dark Eldar list you'll pretty much expect to see as well. Um. Lots of grotesques and racks, and the triple ravagers, and uh, with Cabal the Blackheart. Um, so it's a pretty, pretty kind of standard competitive. We brought the best stuff plus some team tournament tech uh, to do really well, and they did. Yeah, we covered uh, I think their list in uh, pretty last... solid detail in the last episode, so you can rewind Absolutely. if you want to want to hear some hot takes on uh, on Beast Coast. I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any surprise to see them at the top. Um, yeah, it's a stacked team. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, I was talking to Jeff before the podcast, um, and we were talking about Custodes, and uh, he said something about the meta, uh, about Dark Eldar and Eldar and the single knight. And um, it's it's kind of it's kind of cool seeing the meta evolve so quickly, right? Because Adepticon, which is only a couple months, which was only a couple months ago, um, we you know the Custodes and the the Flyerants, uh were kind of like the boogeyman with with the Chaos Cultist Poxwalker spam, and now we've just drastically changed away from that. So now Dark Eldar, Guard with the single knight, and Eldar kind of like the new hotness, kind of the new badness. But I think. The, the difference, the main difference between the Adepticon meta and the meta we have now is I think this is the meta that we're sticking with. Uh, short of orcs just completely just flipping the meta on its head and, and destroying all the Eldar and Dark Eldar and Astromel Tremless. Um, I think this is what we're sticking with for the foreseeable future because we've only got a few codexes releases. Um, so I think it's, it's very important for you guys to pay attention to all the lists coming out of these tournaments, you know, regardless of their a team tournament or the BAO. Um, so if you want to look at those lists, uh, I believe Abuse Puppy linked to them in the last episode, and then if I remember, I'll link to them this episode too. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's, uh, it, I think we mentioned it, or I mentioned it in a, in a previous podcast. We're in the most stable meta of 8th edition. It's going to last, I don't know, what, three three months we got probably? I don't know. You probably see a codex drop, I would assume, somewhere around the September timeline. We'll see because they got the they got the kill team stuff coming out. That looks kind of cool. Um, but then, I mean, who knows? I mean, there'll be some pretty cool uh, stuff, I'm sure, that comes out of Space Wolves that might maybe shake up the uh, the Imperial soup. Uh, you've got GSC, which, yeah, maybe on their own aren't aren't everything uh, to, to everyone. But, uh, you know, that could change how Tyranids play significantly. And then yes, of course, orcs. So, but like right now is is a really really cool time. Um, and because there's so much diversity, even in these team tournament lists, by the way, like I mean, my my darlings pre uh, pre ATC um, uh, quality control um, <laughs> with have just some of the craziest lists. They came in fourth, um, blowing the lead there. You know, they had one loss and one draw. Um, but they had a lot of, you know, yeah, spammy. They were focusing on certain key units, but nonetheless, they were pretty unique lists. They certainly weren't, um, they certainly weren't your standard lists. And then the team that we probably mocked the most, uh, probably because their name is Hasbeans, but is a stack team with lots of amazing players, uh, from over the years. Um, you know, they came in third, um, had two draws and, uh, and four losses, sorry, four wins, um. But they had very, you know, to, to you know, your your average armchair hero who reads a lot of competitive 40k. You know, some of their lists didn't look very optimized, yet they were winning. So, the stability, the so-called stable metal. I think there's lots of lots of room for innovation and and movement within it as certain things become powerful. There'll be counters. There's just so much stuff out there that's good and useful. And yeah, and these team tournaments kind of show that. Yeah, and 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 thank you for for clarifying that, and bringing that up. Um, I, I didn't mean to say that. That those three lists I mentioned were like the only lists you'll see. I actually think Val's 100% correct. Uh, I think that we're going to see little small shifts, um, and it's very diverse right now. It's it's completely diverse. Um, there's a lot of lists and a lot of room for for you guys to bring the things, the units that you want to bring that maybe uh, weren't as good an addition ago. Um, and uh, I think I think I'm really excited. I'm just I'm really excited to see all this cool stuff. <clears throat> 
I also want to give a, the Warhogs a shout out. Uh, they knocked out Team Zero Comp out of um, any relevant ranking. <laughs> um, uh, they knocked Zero them down to four no. and two. No, it's 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 all right. I heard I heard um, that Team Zero Comp did pretty well overall. Did, did Reese yeah. listen to the episode? No, I actually I asked him if he listened to the episode, and Reese <laughs> was like, "No, I had no idea what I was facing at all." Uh, and lo and behold, uh, you know, they played two of two of the hardest teams at the tournament and lost to both of them. Um, so so, uh, anyways, the Warhogs. We had uh, Steve Steve the Mean Pamprine with his demons, um, with his plague bear unit. Uh, plague Steve treat him mean, keep him keen, Pamprine. <laughs> um, uh, he, his list. I think I think I I don't know and maybe you guys can agree or disagree with me but I think the the plague bearer spam demon lists um I don't know I haven't decided if they're gatekeeper or if they're actual lists that people should be concerned about um because obviously they're a great defender lists in team championships um but do you think you'll see just variations of these lists with like more demon princes Not or what's up I mean you'll see them but I don't think they'll do well in the ITC not in ITC just just uh um. I mean, I think you'll probably still see a few because people, people, you know, will copycat and kind of see these these etc and atc I lists. I said you'll see them; they just won't do very well. Well, you didn't say very loud. <laughs> I did actually, Bobo. Let's not try to blame me on this one. That's the sound of my foot in my mouth. Yes, yeah, that what that's in itc. Like. You need to kill and probably kill more to be scoring a lot of points, especially the bigger the tournament. The Nurgle lists already suffer with that, but the like 90 or 120 Plague Bearer lists are very, very good at sitting on objectives and get some semblance of board control. But there's just a lot of extreme lists out there that even that will just be straight up a loss that they'll run into. Like, there's a guy who's like, I just want to take 18 custodian bikers. And the Nurgle guy's like, well, holy shit. Or three or four knights will pick up globs of Plague Bearers at a time. It's totally fine. Uh, but then your standard all-comers lists um, will just be able to kill a thing or two, and the Nurgle list especially won't on turns three plus. Like it just gets to the point where they just aren't killing anything. Yeah, I am. I am curious though, because I mean the the team tournament version is actually more like, pardon me, like 120, 150 plague bear, bears at times. Mm-hmm. Like so, it's like, and it, it is certainly like super extreme. But if you do drop down to like that nine ninety level. Then there would be a lot of room for for killy stuff, because I yep. wonder if like well, and I don't know how. Like what does Nurgle take to kill with though? Right, demon Tell princes. Me what they take. Anything that's in it. chaos. That's it. Anything uh, that's chaos, true. you say? Okay, so now you're in an unsynergistic list, or you take demon princes, which are very good, but the second they're out from behind a screen, they die. They have hmm. eight wounds. They just die. Don't get a better so screen. Casting... Than plague bearers though. <laughs> Just being devil's advocate. This, this is, is going to be a really fun back and forth because, like, <laughs> the, the point I'm trying to make is you guys are like, well, with three princes behind, that's an average of 3d3 mortal wounds. It's like, yeah, and if you're just, like, walking 10-man guard, guard squads at them, they'll kill those. But in most cases, that that slow-moving Nurgle army of plague bearers and several princes and whatever else mm-hmm. is not picking up units at a time. It's just simply not. And if the princes jump out and are attacking people... They're going to die. They'll kill a unit or two, and then on turns, what did Jeff say? Louder for Pablo. Three plus! On turns three plus, when those princes are dead, and you just have Plague Bears now with zero rend, they're not killing anything. And that's their problem. Yeah. They're uh, good, and they can play to the objectives fairly well. They have good board control, so they're okay. But the reason you're not seeing them win 
or even plays highly in ITC tournaments is for that reason. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think ultimately, yeah, you're right. Uh, they are a gatekeeper list. I think they're one of the quintessential gatekeeper lists. Um, they're going to get a lot of really dumb, low-scoring wins, uh, you know, first three rounds, and then and then lose to competent players. I think that's I think that's probably the honest way to predict their meta. You know, their their job in the meta. The one that people seem to be more attached to right now is Infinity Cultists with like yeah eight princes behind it, or uh, uh, Magnus and Ariman and you know fairly Zinch heavy shit that way. And then you have longer range smite. Then you have Death X available to you. So you, and it is pretty good for the meta too because if a knight walks in, you clog up its boots with a bunch of cultists while you smite it for a turn or two, and then it's like that starts to get closer. But that, too, just has bad matchups, which, you know, to be fair, no matter what list we talk about, someone's going to go, well, there's a bad matchup. I can... Yeah, okay, but I guess the, the bigger point is what's heavy in the meta that's a bad matchup. Mm-hmm. And right now, Dark Eldar are in the top three of every single turn you're facing. That's a lot of Eldar shenanigans with, like, scalpel tactics where they can doom, guide a unit of Reapers or, you know, or whatever and just really nuke down the big targets. And then they have a ton of poison. They have a ton of... Uh, a decent number of DACA, so if you are just covering the table in, in bodies, they're good at assault, they'll throw a lot of DACA at you, and they'll be able to get through all that while also picking up one night a turn or close to it, you know. It's a tough matchup. Speaking of knights, uh, I think I think people are start, starting to figure out that Castellan, a single Castellan and a guard detachment is pretty much the best way to run knights. I think, I guess, I guess the most competitive way. Because um, I could definitely see a list like that winning, and I think you're going to see those lists, a lot of those lists at the ETC. You're, I know you're going to see a lot of those lists at the ETC, and um, it's one of those lists that that translates really well to the ITC too, right? Because you have the large guard battalion or brigade, uh, and then you have the Knight Castellan to kind of like hunt you headhunter points, and and you know it can go toe to toe with shadow swords. Are, are and... we segueing to T shift? We can we can segue to T shift. That's that's fine. <laughs> Anything else we want to hit on uh, ATC before we uh, wrap it in a ribbon? Any other shout outs? Um, well, I I mean let's give I'd like to give Team Zero Comp a shout out, Reese and Frankie, um, and the ATC TOs for running a a three hundred and eighty person team event, which is is huge. It's a very very big deal. Um, that's rivaling the team tournament at Adepticon by. By, I mean, rivaling by 100 players-ish, um, but that's still, that's very good. That's a very big achievement, um, and as Jeff said earlier, it's, it's it's a very good tournament. It's Jeff's favorite tournament, um, and there's a reason for that, because the team the team tournament concept and the team tournament format is so much fun. Um, yeah. I have yet to play in a five-man team team tournament, but um, they're, they're just a lot of fun. The pairings and the camaraderie and the list building, I I, I think it's, it's definitely a a format that we need to grow alongside singles. So I think, uh, yeah, I think anyone who plays in a team tournament probably will say something along the lines of that was my favorite way to play 40k. And it has a lot to do with anyone that it actually relates a lot to the conversation we're just having bad matchups, right? Like you have the ability to control a little bit, your bad matchups on your team. And then on top of that, even if you're in a bad matchup, you got something to play for, even if it's just, you know, not losing by a mile and losing, you know, by ten feet instead. You know that that can be a win on a, in a team thing. So you've always, you've, generally speaking, you've always got something to play for. So they're really engaging formats. I hope now that 40k is well in its blowing up phase that we start to see some 
some big tournaments coming out. I know down up here we've got the Can Hammer Team tournament sells out in 10 seconds. ATC sold out this year. Um, I hope uh, hope some other TOs see that it's awesome and start start doing that. Maybe the SoCal should be a team tournament. Yeah, I, I think I think it's it's a little difficult logistically because you need the you're basically hosting two tournaments and you can't host them at the same time. So you need like a minimum of four days. Um, but I, I mean, I look forward to to seeing whatever whatever we expand into. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So moving on to the the T shift. Uh, Mitch Pelham won with a the the list we just mentioned the guard and Knight Castellan. Uh, he yeah. ran basically his his patented Artemia pattern six Hellhounds um, guardsmen and then the Knight Castellan. Uh, I don't I don't know about his matchups or or any of that stuff. I didn't research any of that. Um, but it's Mitch Pelham. He's a really good player, and it's a list that he already knows really well. There's a good He's, story here, Pablo. Oh well, well Jeff, let's hear it. Because Pablo tried to get a journalist on the ground. He said, Sean, could you talk about the T-shift? And, and Sean said, no, I was too busy getting my ass kicked to notice any of the top tables. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember that. He was running trip surge. He was, he was running the triple storm surge uh, out there. It was, uh, it was a bold move. <laughs> it's just funny. That was funny. It's pretty funny. I, I, wonder, if, I wonder if Sean and Mitch played. Uh, that, that'd just be extra um but, but uh poking fun at our our, our beautifully voiced co-host um side uh, mitch pelham congratulations winning t-shift uh, t-shift is a storied event it's a great event um uh, they had 50 people come out uh your top five were mitch pelham's guard list with one night uh you had gary sacco with kind of like the 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 guard slash blood angels slash night list that you see mm-hmm. which is which is basically just a knight castellan some guard and in this case, he also had some armigers, uh, and then some bloody like a blood angels attachment of characters and scouts um, to kind of like help you with counter charges and bubble wrapping. Um, I think that would be the direction I would go with my list. I think that's the next iteration of the blood angels lists as well. Uh, and then you had John Paul Moet win with Dark Eldar slash Eldar. Um, he basically took that that four flyer list concept. The, I think it was like two Crimson Hunters, two. Uh, two Crimson Hunters, two of the Hemlock Wraith Fighters, um, and then instead of taking the three Wave Serpents and all the other ground forces, he brought Triple Ravagers and Swooping Hawks. Um, so obviously that worked out for him. He went four and one. Um, and then we had a fourth and fifth place coming up with Guard and High Fleet Leviathan, Tyranids. And Ooh. the Tyranid list was, was uh, the... It had a lot of zoanthropes, so so it had four zoanthropes. Um, so help me out, Jeff. Yeah. Are, are is this like an anomaly, or is this like the new the new version of Tyranid list that you're going to start seeing? Because he had he had like the four zoanthropes, the hive guard bomb, you four know, hive tyrants. Yeah, he had, yeah, four four zoanthropes in one in one elite slot. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. I need to see so. Um, Nick so, Rose on ETC USA team mm-hmm. believes this to be very good. I think he took it to ATC, but after it he, fails incredibly at the ETC, I'm supposed to give him a lot of shit. I have that scheduled for about a month from now. <laughs> um, the Zoanthrope unit with a Neurothrope near it has some like borderline competitive cool. I believe it's 3D3 Mortal Wounds they cast singularly as a unit. Yeah. Um, with the Neurothrope. So that's, you know, that's okay. That's that's up to nine mortal wounds, which is pretty cute. 
but they don't get the cast multiple times. The Neurothrope does get the cast, I believe, itself, so that's 43 when you consider the unit and that. They're not that expensive. They're a 3++, so that's all pretty cool. Um, but it's just kind of like... Uh, you know, like, that's all they do, by the way. They, they don't have... There's no... They're one attack, strength 4, I think. Hitting on 4 is in close combat. No shooting. They have Synapse. They're not that expensive, but it's still something like... Um, it's like a 240-point unit and then a 70-point Neurothrope, so it's like 310 points. So it's not like it's some loophole where you found it dirt cheap. But it's kind of cute, I guess, And if you if you put a screen <laughs> behind it. And I think the funny thing about it is because you never do see it, and it is scary to be like, it's a super smite unit. A lot of people are going to be like, holy fuck, I'm putting everything into it. Well, if it absorbs all the firepower and you just make all your three pluses and reroll a couple of them, uh, or just one, I guess, per, per phase. But, you know, you, they, if they survive, then it did, it just won you the game, basically. Because the rest of your list probably has Hive Guard, Gene Stealers, Hive Tyrants, that kind of stuff. All stuff that hits really hard. And if they're left alone and they get a free turn of movement and get into the right spot, then they just win the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, go ahead, Val. I was going to say, um, yeah, Nick Rose's list has enough to do it. These guys... I think that one doesn't that require something dumb though? Like isn't it like nine? This is something stupid. To yeah, Nick Rose is nine. I thought it was four, but if, if it's not, oh, okay, four, then maybe then that's, that's just what silly. it is. Maybe yeah, okay. Um, yeah. The other, uh, this list also has some other cool shit in it. Like uh, it has my boy old one eye and a unit of three Carnifexes uh, with the Devourer. Um, not running any big units of Gene Stealers at all. Uh, does have the uh, Battalion Detachment of GSC with uh, a couple Magus for like the. The controller unit, uh, the controller unit trick, and make mm. dudes shoot other dudes. I don't know. It seems like fun. And how many did he have? A one loss? Was this a one loss list? Yeah, he, he had a one loss. So, so the the top eight all had one loss or better. Uh, and uh, you basically you had just one Tyranid player, one Death Guard player, uh, two Eldar players, and then the rest of the players played some version of Knight plus Guard plus other stuff, in in that kind of weird Imperium combination, the Imperium Carousel, so to speak. Uh, so, which is good, by the way. There's there's a couple variants of it, but uh, one of the ones that seems to be really really popular is just like three Hellhounds, maybe some more, a lot of Catachan infantry, the Castellan, um, and then Reese Robin's very own Bolgren Star, so a Minister and Priest, yeah, um, and a couple of things to buff it up. And that's just a good combination. It's got board control. The Bolgren can move out. They reliably take a lot of damage. The Castellan with a three plus plus is really hard to bring down, and it's not easy to get close to it either, right? Because there's so many bodies on the table, and the Bulgren will beat the shit out of anything that comes too close. It's a really nice, potent comp uh, composition. It's If you kill the knight, it's not like the list falls on its face and can't do anything, because you still have these incredible hellhounds that are dirt cheap, and you have this Bulgren star that can just take over the game. It's a really, really nice list. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that I agree with you. The, the, Imperium, the Imperiums have a lot of players have a lot of good options right now uh and and i completely forgot about the bulgren star um but that that's one of the very good lists um and a lot of good players are starting to figure it out i guess but uh i mean there's not much to figure out they like jeff said they're they're unkillable they're tough can we just take a minute though to talk about how in seventh edition reese from on top of a, a gigantic soapbox like a just a, a tower an ivory tower of a soapbox if you will he gnashed his teeth, he tore his garments, and he cried up to the heavens and said, Why, Games Workshop, why? 
are there these Death Stars? And then 8th edition rolls around, and we all kind of celebrated the much maligned death of the Death Star and said, we're finally free. And that's when Reese put his hands together and grabbed his gigantic Ethiopian cranium and just started to decide to find the only Death Star in the game. And he did. He found it. It was the Bulgren Death Star. And he brought it back to life, and he's been hoarding it for himself ever since. Isn't that just a beautiful little story of I think hypocrisy? Please. I think clearly Reese is just a 40k hipster, and he's only doing uh, Death Stars now because they're not cool. Yep. But they are cool all of a sudden, right? Like, <laughs> he's going to stop running. Elder that's winning everything, so he's, is he going to stop, I guess? Yeah, he's, he's going to go back to Orcs until the Orc Codex comes out, and then he'll yeah. probably go back to Footdar. I don't know. But it is, it is really funny. And the, uh, if you guys ever get the chance to talk to Reese in person at the LVO or the BAO, um, ask him about the Bulgrins, and then he, he will rub his hands together and kind of say, ah, it's the closest thing to a Death Star we have in 8th edition. <laughs> it's, it's every time. I would take, like, the first take thing he mentions. Quick second to plug uh, another podcast that I've recently started listening to, which is called Best in Faction. And actually, Mitch Pelham is one of the co-hosts, and the other guy is a fairly prominent ITC Dude, too, whose name wildly escapes me. Um, but they went into both these lists, both their lists in depth in their last episode, and I'm sure they'll be talking about it uh, when they record their next one, probably in the next week or so. So if anyone wants to go in depth on this, uh, they've got great content. Best faction. All right. He's also Best a writer on faction. Frontline Gaming. So you, you'll probably you'll probably see that as well there. So teen, tune into FrontlineGaming.org. Um, but that that's T-Shift. Uh, it was uh, 50 people came out. Um, I'm, not, I'm not surprised by... Uh, the the rankings those crickets that's, uh, i'm not Every surprised time, man. yeah uh i'm not surprised at all um just considering that the meta there there's a, there's a lot of really good guard players up there there's also a couple of really good eldar players too um and sean uh so awesome t-shift another i'm glad t-shift's back i i actually completely forgot to say that i'm, I'm glad that ben and those guys brought back t-shift and, and cruise hammer and all that goodness uh i can't wait to one day go up to t-shift and maybe win a cruise hammer ticket that would be a lot of fun it was nice of ben schmoller to fit it in between photoshop or excuse me photo opportunities deep in the woods with his um fur jackets on and stuff like that running under the conservative banner of more guns he's just you know it's just amazing he's able to find <laughs> the time to do that okay um let's let's talk about uh the preferred enemy uh over over in Australia. Uh, so the preferred enemy, um, it, w- it was a, a major. Fifty-two players showed up. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't find lists for it. So if if you guys ran it, can shoot me lists. Maybe I can put the link in the pod in the notes. Um, but basically, it. I, I kind of want to just preface saying that this is a seventeen hundred and fifty points. Um, they kind of went the GW way. Ew. Yeah, seven. Yeah, I know seventeen fifty best overall. Um, you know no no best general actually there was a best general paul greenwood congratulations best general you were the, the best of the best uh also got fourth best overall so good job paul um with space wolves so um yeah i, I don't know i don't know enough about the 1750 point meta um it, the 1750 point australian meta to really comment on this but i do like the diversity of their top five their top five is demons thousand suns tyranids Chaos Space Marines and Space Wolves. I think they so, yeah. play mostly Compler too, by the way. Not like uh, I'm not saying that in a terrible way, but I think the Australian meta is very much so. Yeah, the, that comp that comp. 
Yeah, yeah. I, so I'd like to know more about this event. It was a major. Uh, Fifty people showed up, so so I'd like to know a little bit more. Um, was it this last weekend, Pablo? It was this last weekend. It was one of the four majors this last weekend. Okay. I think they're probably uploading their videos and stuff like that, so it should be on the internet by next week or next month or so. Yeah, so keep keep an eye out for that. The Preferred Enemy um, is the name of the tournament, and they have their missions up, so you guys can look at those missions. And if you're interested in running 1,750 points, uh, here's a successful major that ran 1,750 points. Um, and then it's, I'm sure the burning question we're all asking is, is did it matter? Was slow playing an issue? Um, I don't know. So I guess uh, when we start getting firsthand, you know, accounts of the event, we'll find out. Um, but let that debate rage on. Australian internet, by the way, Pablo. What's well, up? That joke went way over your head, my friend. Completely. Australian internet. Yeah, it's okay. Anyways. Com- completely. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's talk about the Caledonian Revolution. Uh, so this was the second largest event uh, this weekend. Slow down. Uh, I'm catching Cal- up to this meta. Would you just slow down? They're very far ahead. Oh, the Europeans? Oh, the, the UK the UK meta? This I mean, try to explain it in a way that Val can understand. But Please. I mean, that's, just, go ahead. It's going to be tough. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, first place we had um, Manny Chima, um, who I believe is also on the UK ETC team. Uh, he had an Imperium list, mm-hmm. and their list document won't let me control F. So uh, Manny Chima, so i got, I got to scroll to it naturally. Um, but he had he had kind of an interesting Imperium list uh, when I was looking through it earlier, uh, which is so it's uh, the you had the Katashan, Colonel Strachan, the company commanders, the platoon commanders, the billion guardsmen, two hellhounds, and three heavy weapons team brigade, uh, and then you had three shield captains on Donegal jet bikes and three captains with jump packs, uh, Blood Angels captains Blood with jump Angels, packs, yeah. and Bethstone. Um, so, so he had, I think this is probably his ETC list too. It, it looks like an ETC list. Uh, you know, I'm sure if we were to look up the ETC list right now, we could probably confirm or deny that, but, but, um, I'm not going to do that. So anyways, uh, but yeah. Okay, Pablo. <laughs> that list is going around to not necessarily the shield, shield captains. A lot of times that 460 points is something else, but, um, the three blood angel, Smash Gwinius or whatever the hell people are calling. I can't remember. It makes some of the Blood Angel players really upset that they're called that. Then the other one's really happy. But it's just really good. It's the same kind of concept as the chaos stuff we were talking about where it's like screen of stuff and behind it, the real threat. Um, which I think was really bad early 8th edition, but it's become a little bit more tolerable and interesting because there's just more things happening. <laughs> but just the character rule being abused, essentially. In this case with Fly, be by either the bike or the jump pack. Yeah, and then in second place we had the uh, Conrad Conrad Bar Barkiewicz. Bar- I, I how do you pronounce that, Jeff? I can't see it. You were going to say it's Barkowitz. Bar Barkowitz. Okay, uh, he had an Eldari list. Um, I, I want to say Conrad's also an ETC player too. I feel like I I recognize his name uh, in places around, but I might be wrong. Um, but he had the uh, Inari detachment with Ivrain, the Rangers, Spirits here. To two large units of Shining Spears and one large unit of Dark Reapers, all to take advantage of that that Nari rule. Um, and then he had a Supreme Command detachment with the Farseer Skyrunner, a Warlock Skyrunner, and Spirit Seers, uh, and then three Ravagers and an Archon and a Cabal, the Blackheart detachment. So it's it's just a, a very standard Eldar mixed list. Um, uh, not there's not much to say. There's a lot a lot of smites, a lot of 
you know, Eldar psychic shenanigans and then Cabal the Blackheart and the yeah. Ravagers to bring it in. And then the Shining Spears and the Dark Reapers. Uh, and then your top five were uh, Imperium, Eldari, Imperium, Drukari, Imperium, and Tau. Um, the Imperium lists were all basically similar. Uh, they, they all had the kind of that combination of Guard and the Knight. And, or you know, the Imperium Carousel we were, we were talking about earlier. Uh, and then Alex Harrison, I, I didn't get a chance to look at his list. Um, but I imagine it's the the same Tau list that um, he's been. Did run- he take fifth? I, actually, no. He was sixth. running. He was running. Uh, yeah, he came six, but he was running the uh, downright American uh, double uh, tiger shark. Tiger shark, I do believe. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was running the tiger shark fighter bombers, <clears throat> and then the three hammerheads and the long strike, uh, and then the farsight marksmen's cadre fireblade, and a bunch of strike squads. I mean, I don't want to sound like an elitist, but do that, it. That list, that list just kind of makes me sad, but I get it. It's good. Which one? The just the the, the double tiger sharks because they're just ridiculous models. It's kind of like the uh, the vaults when you get the three vaults. It just takes up the entire table. It doesn't look very good. Yeah, but the ti- tiger sharks are monster models. Um, but uh, they got a lot of DACA. They're funny though. It's it's. Um... I think it's. I think they're good when they work. I'll tell you because they're about four hundred some odd points, depending. Um, they have the fly rule, of course, and they're a flyer, so they're minus one to hit, which is, you know, nice. But they're only like sixteen wounds, I believe it is, and I think they have an invul, but I want to say it's like a five plus at best, Correct. something along those lines. Yeah, they are tough eight, which makes it nice. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is you can run into. A really, you know, a, a Castell in the three rolling ones. It's fairly accurate. It puts a few wounds into it with the plasma gun and then the uh, the 3d3 damage gun. And it's like, that's dead. It can die in one volley. or it, it, That's just a Castell. But there's other lists too where it's like, I was running Gilliman with 10 last cannons. That's, that's why I've been running for 10 years. And you're like, oh, that's cool. And then there was the Tiger Sharp. Now, of course, the Tau player would tell you. That if that is the case, you know what their return fire is going to be nice too. But it just hits bad matchups, and I think that's part of the reason why it's like a cool thing right now. But I don't know that it's a mega top tier. Yeah, well, it, it, it's one. It's actually it's one uh, at least one GT. I think did it win Dallas? Dallas, yeah, Dallas yeah. open. Um, so like, sharing like a bunch of ion heads, or um, I no, don't know what he it backed was, it up it was with. Like this was stealth suits, yeah. tiger sharks, uh, a rip. I think it was like two riptides. Um, and then a, a bunch of a bunch of infantry bodies crew. Harrison's list here is kind of interesting to me because it doubles down on um, you know a lot of the units that can't protect themselves in the Tau list. Like Tau do have great defense in, in Survivor Protocols, and so you can kick wounds out obviously, but only to battle suits. So this list is almost is all stuff that actually can't take advantage of it. Right. Which actually means that there it's all killer no filler right so like there's no there's no sunk points in shield drones or or anything like that it's it's vulnerable to you know getting shot but you can only kill so much of it he's still got long strike and three hammerheads i mean this would be a lot of shooting coming at you oh yeah um, yeah i really liked in in the dallas list though that the he used uh he made use of the uh, farsight set for the reroll ones to wound and which is good with the uh the fact that a flyer can get anywhere now, this one, uh, the Flyers had uh, Tau Sep, so I guess he's making use of, um, of uh, you know, the plus one to wound strategy and the other benefits of Tau. Yep. 
Um, also, I want to apologize to Gordon Wilson. Uh, when I was looking at his list, I was actually looking at the list above his list, which was Guard and Knights. Uh, Gordon Wilson actually had an interesting Imperium list. He had uh, three Knight Gallants and two Armager Warglaves, which I believe are the the shooty ones. They got the no, no, they're the, they're the Warglaves. So yeah, they're the melted guns. So the, the close combat ones. Uh, and then he had uh, an assassin detachment with three Eversore assassins uh, and a, a Gilliman. So he had kind of like the, the list I thought would never do well. Um, and he did pretty well at it. So um, congratulations to Gordon. Uh, I don't I don't know if... Uh, like I think Jeff mentioned before the podcast that, that tri- Triple Knights feels like a gatekeeper army. Like there's too many things that'll just flat out kill you. Um, but I, I'm kind of surprised to see someone go in third place with a list like this. Uh, yes but, and no, though. They're better than they ever were before. They're not nearly as gatekeepy as they were in the past. Like, three knights, you can very comfortably fit a guard battalion in there, and of course, and then um, assassins go well with it, or you can fill out the guard. Like, it's, it's a nice mix of a lot of bodies, some decent access to command points, and then if, you know, the list that you could take before the knight codex, a lot of those are just not viable anymore. If there's a gallant coming at you and it's got 12-inch movement, but it's advancing plus two and charging plus two, and it still gets to charge after advancing, Dawn of War, all of a sudden, it's fucking in your face, like turn one, you know, and, and turn yeah. two at, at least every right. game. So you have to have something in your list that can deal with that. And it doesn't feel like it's an option like it used to be, too, to be like, well, I'll just survive and run away. Nah. Everything dies in 8th edition, and, and knights are like the, the, the daddies of that. They're like, they're doing a lot of the killing. Yeah, and and, and one uh, go go ahead, Val. I and I'm just I'm gonna tee up a nice ball that 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 Jeff can just drive right down the fairway here. But I do feel like with three knights, you're vulnerable to losing a knight, and you lose a you you know a lot of ton of your shooting power. Whereas with four knights, and I know I was joking around a lot before about like five gallons, which is clearly illegal, but. Um, do you think there there might be, and this could get back to your Plaguewalker's point, but do you think there might be room for a four knight list? Have you tried tallying around Absolutely. with four knights? Yeah, you just it, it limits your options. It's got to be like two gallants to do that, because I really feel like you have to have 180 points available of the guard battalion. Um, they're so command point hungry. You, you need to be rotating ion shields probably every turn. It's just one command point on on the non dominuses, but that's still you know, a command point. And then a lot of what makes them really good is like, like you said, a knight's going to die. In fact, I would tell you in most of the knight games, they'll probably report to you that they almost always die. But the key would be to have it blow up in your opponent's face. And even just them dying and then blowing up is a problem for your opponent. Like for me as a custodies guy, primarily, mm-hmm. they, they just give me a real pain in the ass. Like you can drag a knight down to hell. That's fine. But then it, on a stratagem, you roll 2d6 for a dominus, but just 1d6 for a non on a four plus, it's d6 mortal wounds to every unit within two d6 or three d6. Anyways, I'm getting too detailed. The point is, yeah, it's, it's d6 mortal wounds to everything, and that's yeah. a, that's a pain. Yeah. Or if they're mechanicum and you get them down to like one wound, they step back, use a strategy, and now they're operating at the highest tier, and they offload again into you and maybe blow up after that. And it's just and there's the zombie knight strat too, where you can bring one run one back from the dead, right? Yep. That's it. Has ridiculous. to not blow up, and then you have to roll four plus, but. Yeah, but the point is, uh, I play, I've been playing a lot of knights as well. If you don't have command points, they fall off pretty hard. So the command points make them accurate. They make them operate better. They make them do cool stuff and kill people pretty reliably in close combat. But the second you don't have command points anymore, 
um, you, you that Eldar player is like, okay, Doom, and you're like, yep, I got off. They're like, okay, Guide, yep. What's your save? It's a five plus plus. They're like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> and you're, just, you're just gone. I like that every Eldar player is Rain Man. Oh, they are. <laughs> uh, They're excellent drivers. The the uh, there's another pitfall with these three night lists um, that a lot of people I, I've been noticing have been overlooking. Um, and then Gordon Wilson's is a perfect example of it. Is he makes all the knights characters, and then he has three Eversor assassins and Gilliman. So the oh, only yeah. thing actually blocking characters with the character rule are the armorers, um, which which are pretty easy to kill. Uh, so once you kill those two armorers or kind of like move around them, you can just snipe Gilliman kill the Eversor assassins there's nothing blocking you from shooting them so can i can i so if you have the character yeah. keyword yeah i just gotta go a little deeper on this sure. and you're above 10 wounds you can't screen for other characters no because you have the character keyword i don't know Pablo's saying that but I, it's one of those moments where i'm like mm-hmm. yeah you know i might be wrong uh, you, you might, I might i might be wrong i'm sure someone online has already posted in the comment section <laughs> Before the the episode aired, it's not even aired yet. They're just writing, writing yeah, it right now. I, I'm sure. I'm sure someone somewhere has already posted something saying I'm wrong. But, but um, I as I recall, as I recall all of that, I don't think they block. Um, but you know what? We we have the lovely internet. Um, so uh, FAQ GW did just address this in an FAQ. Um, so uh, it'll be answered. It'll Let's be answered that way. That's fine. We don't need to. Yeah. We don't need to keep talking. About yeah. It. But but yeah, so so I, I that's why I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised Gordon did really well with this list. Although maybe Gordon Wilson's just a phenomenal player. I've never uh, I'm sorry I haven't heard of you, Gordon Wilson. Uh, you're not a household name in my household. Um, hopefully yeah. you'll become one. Well, that would be the, pretty. The cool. callouts this episode have been insane, Paula. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I think as time goes on, by the way, you're going to see night lists as opposed to improving better. They're going to find their way into the middle again um just for all the reasons we've been saying but as they've come out even more so i would say than um in seventh edition they've had a they've had a fantastic impact on the meta they've people been winning with it it's mostly that castellan inside of a a guard army you know imperial super carousel whatever you guys say that seems to be the way to do it but three knights is certainly viable four knights to val's point absolutely is viable as well it just means that you have probably two gallants and then one dominus and then one like warden or something um which is still pretty good but i think not super amazing but as time goes on everybody in their lists are going to be like this is what i do for knights whereas right now you're not getting that as much yeah but i mean even even that little dialectic is gonna is gonna change what you know the predominant other lists are which is just so much fun yeah no i I, i'm actually really happy about it yeah knights have had an awesome impact on the meta dark eldar have they had an awesome impact on the meta I think I think they kind of have. I mean, they've definitely have reined in though? chaos lists, like because because chaos lists were doing were were a little I too like much. Da- I feel like yeah. Dark Elder's impact in the meta is just like, what the fuck just happened? You know, like, they're just good. <laughs> they're great. Like I'm not even complaining. Like I love the. I said this when the Codex came out. I think it's one of the. It's the best. Like most fluff oriented and yet fun and exciting Dark Elder Codex. We see people winning with Talos. We see them winning yeah. with small detachments, flyers, spam, venom. Like. It's just so awesome that I'm not even upset when every time I check the results of a tournament, there's obviously a Dark Elder or two in the top, like, three or four. Like, they're doing really well right now. But um, I think they're doing it in a way that, like, I, I would hope for every Codex. It's it's fun and exciting, is what I'm saying. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good, it's a, pre- a good precedent that they set, and th- I think they're doing really well. I think the Night Codex, um, they did. I think that was honestly another slam dunk codex that yes. they released. Um, and then I'm excited to see what they do with orcs and space wolves, um, especially space wolves, who who I think orcs are getting a lot of the talk, myself by myself included. But um, uh, orcs and space wolves, Pablo. Have you seen the picture of the three-pistoled, gun-slinging, gene-sealer cult Primus? No. You actually haven't? No, I have not. Oh, my God. We'll Google it. It's a fucking amazing model. He's just a, a model with three pistols. He's a G. He's got three pistols. He's got a like handkerchief over his face because he's just going all in on this concept, and he's just amazing. <laughs> and I've got a hot tip from you. Get ready to have your pants blown off. Reese says it's really good. And the rules are excellent for Gene Sealer Cult. Sounds like Reese. Breaking. No, the joke is that Reese says that about absolutely everything. But I know. Anyways. I need my funny guy. Sean understands my humor. Psych. <laughs> Nobody understands my humor. Next question. Uh, so I think, actually, I think that's it. Uh, if you guys want to... <laughs> if you guys want to know more about the Caledonian Revolution, I-, I was just listening to the Caledonian Uprising. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Good one. Yeah, I'm sure they will talk. I'm, if you can get past the accents, uh, I'm sure they will talk about uh, and and the fact that they're of... probably going to record a pr- on the way to the tournament uh, podcast in the car, and then their post tournament coverage will be on the way back from the tournament in the car. You know, they're dedicated. I'll give them that. You know, uh, it's it's, it's great. You know, yeah, we but, got crickets. They've got road noise. It's all good. <laughs> uh, but but definitely suggest. I definitely suggest listening to them. Um, they're they're going to cover Watch, this. By the way, oh, it's Caledonian Death. Caledonian Uprising is the other tournament they run, right? Uh, no, their podcast is the Death Watch. Their tournament is the Uprising. Yeah, and then Revol- so they have yeah. the Caledonian Revolution, Caledonian stuff, and yeah. then the Caledonian Uprising, and then the Caledonian Death Watch is the name of the podcast. Caledonian is the Castellan of Scotland. Okay. No, no one got my joke. What? Everything's named Castellan in 40k. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, I don't know. No. Okay. I didn't notice no, never that. Mind, never mind. Shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you guys are going to understand my jokes, you sure as fuck are not going to understand yours. That's fair. That's, that's, that's reasonable criticism. And for the record, it, the character rule calls out uh, Ted Wounds or less can't block. It does. I, I knew it. Calling Did- it back. I'm the commentator queuing <laughs> you up to roast you. Already there. from the post. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's okay. That's fine. That makes that makes more sense. Um, it's we still... all do that. You're just brave enough to say that on a podcast where you're going to get called out by 46 people. So I was like, I was pretty sure I knew that rule, but I'm not going to say it online because then people will yell at me. I mean, why why bother reading rules when you have an entire army of people online who give you the correct rules anyways? That's right. After the fact, when you when you yeah. need them the least. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But I still get the knowledge. That's all that matters. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, uh, hopefully you got through the rant in the beginning and the tournament coverage in the middle of the end. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, there's we got the BAO coming up next week. Uh, next week. No, no. You guys will see really? this Monday. So two weeks. In two weeks. Um, so it'll be a week from this weekend when you guys are listening to this. Uh, so uh, look forward to that. There there's, should be some coverage there from Frontline Gaming. Um, and of course, Jeff will be there, and I will be there. I will be playing. Um, oh, you're playing! Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I. I Before brief- we end the podcast, Pablo, what are you taking? What are you doing, buddy? What are you taking in the tournament, Pablo? 
Uh, I'm going to take Triple Knights and Gilman. Seriously? No. No, I'm, I'm just going to take... I think he my... was until you answered like that, Jim. <laughs> no, no, no. What are you uh, really taking? Uh, I'm taking just my my list that I've been working running with. I've got a lot of games under my belt. It's the, the guard list, the... God, you're goddamn crickets. I feel so judged right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> the the guard... Just, the, it's back there. It's a, a Katachan <laughs> guard battalion with uh, Celestine and the Seraphim and then uh, Blood Angels detachment with the scout bikes. After um, all the shit you've said about Celestine getting roasted by ITC format, she's she's coming out for you? Yeah, I, I just... I, I've been good, going back and forth between her and Shield Captains and uh, Knight, like a like a like a gallant or or um, the forge rolled to atropos, um, and I just I feel like the seraphim are just the right way to go. Maybe not Celestine, um, but she usually does work for me every game, so I, I can't I can't really you know not take her. I can't yeah. really find a reason not to take her. Um, so so anyways, yeah. So Celestine, the seraphim are the the real all stars though. They they just they character snipe. They kill vehicles that I need dead, like wave serpents and things. Um, they hide. They take it. Yeah, they deep strike. They're great. They're they're amazing models. So I think they're they're basically the reason why I'm taking Celestine, um, not the other way around. Yeah. So that's what I'm bringing. Jeff, what are you running? I um, I'm still madly in love with my custodies. So I've been every time I travel or something like that, I just go off and like think and write lists. And I'm gonna be taking a uh, what's it called auxiliary of a. Colexus. Sorry, my brain's still actually in Spain right now, so it's hard for me to think. So the auxiliary Colexus, because I think you absolutely have to take a Colexus in almost every single list you play. Custodes. Guard Battalion with just the absolute bare bones, I think it is with... I don't have a list in front of me, but it's like three mortars in the infantry teams, I guess. That's it. And then the Custody Battalion is going to be my 3 by 3 spear guys. Um, shield Captain on bike with Missile Salvo. And then a unit of five uh, bikes and a unit of four bikes with motherfucking Trahan as the other HQ. Mm. Or, alternatively, it's two units of five bikes and then two shield captains. But I actually have just been having so much fun with Trahan. And he's um, he's like... I, I That list, he's really, really good. But I it's, it's like 93% full throttle. If you take the two shield captains, I think that's 100%. Trahan's 93, but then he has this really funny swingy thing where, like, sometimes he's so goddamn clutch that he's, like, 200%. People are like, what does he do? <laughs> Except when we roll ones, holy fuck, swing it again, here we go. And if you just don't fail three ups, and then if he's victor of the blood games and re-rolling his, you know, one wound per turn on either side, he can turn into a little god. Or he can get exposed for two seconds, you fail three saves and he dies, and you just go, well, hey, there's... Whoopsie doodle. He's good in theory. I love that model. I love the rule. I, yeah. Uh, I use Valdor for him. I had I I had. Oh Trey my him. god! Uh, use the Valdor cool. model. It's oh like god, not damn. even. It's like not even fair how beautiful that model oh, is compared amazing. to the rest of the forty k models. That's why I had to, and that's actually why I've like pretty much fallen in love with them. The all the other thing too though is rerolling ones to wound, because people are like hurricane bolters. That's pretty scary. And you're like yeah yeah, and they're like you, you what do you do now? I reroll ones to hit, so they're hitting on twos or rolling ones, and then I reroll ones to wound. So like. They kill things that are hilarious. It's just <laughs> fucking hilarious. That, is that a bubble for, for all custodies? Six inches all custodies, yes. Holler. That's very nice. Yeah. And cool. he's strength 10 rerolling ones to wound as well. Minus three on his axe. He, he's amazing. Yeah. And he, at 250 points, 
honestly, the only reason that he's like arguably not good. It's not even the points. Two fifty is pretty fair, I think. Maybe you know if we like put our monocle on, we're like, well, it could be two forty. I think two thirty five is maybe totally fair. <laughs> Whatever. The point is, it's very close. It's just that he moves six inches and doesn't have fly. You get really spoiled with the the shield. Can you teleport him? Just ability. You can deep strike anything in the custodian. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I- that's not. That's pretty cool. I, I'm a. I'm a fan of him personally, so I'm. I'm glad a prominent player is actually bringing him. So hopefully wins the BAL. Uh, yeah. And then finally Val, TGX yeah. is coming up next week. Oh my goodness! I. I'm I so remember. touched. Don't don't think I'm I, so think touched. I, I was just about to. I was about to segue it myself. It's almost like you've. I've been hearing about it for the last three weeks. I have been really annoying about TGX, but guess what, guys? It paid off. TGX hit fifty players, which. Nice. In our humble southern Ontario, largest city in Canada, uh, Meta. Nice. Uh, that's pretty huge. I don't. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it's the largest singles event that Toronto's ever seen. Might not be true, but I'm gonna say it feels right. And uh, I can't wait. It's gonna be awesome next weekend, actually. So soon. Are you playing? I am. I am. I actually have nothing really to do with it. I'm just a hype man. Uh, <laughs> but it's my it's my hometown tournament, so I feel really really personally invested to get people to come out because Toronto 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 players have been super reluctant. To uh, to embrace tournaments, and this is the first time where we've gotten a nice groundswell of support. It was actually supported by um, a copycat league that uh, I, I I heard about on on signals from the front line. Oh, yeah. that's super interesting. What are you playing? Yeah. God, uh, what am I playing? I'm playing Tau, Jeff. I'm playing Tau. <laughs> I'm playing uh, six uh, six times nine uh, Fire Warrior Strike teams mm. with the pulse rifles got uh, two cadre fire blades in there and ethereal i got one cold star commander with the four fusions just for going in kamikaze and stuff i got three riptides mm. with the proper loadout which is uh ats and target lock yeah what else i got oh and i got three units and nine pathfinders um holy shit uh so yeah it's like 80 80 models i think on the number as far as infantry is concerned and then any uh, drones though for I got one unit of... This is my ITC tweak for my ETC list. So I got one unit of five um, shield drones, and two of the Pathfinder units have two shield drones plus the the drone that makes the pulse rifle shoot farther. And they come with those drones, and and the drones are a part of the unit, but you could just park them next to the Riptides anyways, right? And they can... They're actually not part of it. When the unit deploys, they become their own separate unit, so they can get punked. Oh. Which is actually why... you have, like, 11 drones in total that you can throw near the Riptides, I guess? Uh, 10, yeah. Yeah, that's and so the cool, cool thing is the Pathfinder drones can do the the pre uh, pre game move, so they can move. I can set them up in a you know somewhere safe ish, and then move them seven inches to get them close to where I need them to be. I like that list a lot. Yeah, Riptides is super underrated. Like people were hating on it for whatever fucking reason, and then they found out. Well, if you put a bunch of marker lights in there, and they're hitting on fours or threes anyways, then uh, three marksmen's in the Cecilia. Um, uh, Vanguard as well with the Ethereal as is the last part of that list, and I 100% agree. And it, I, I, this list, my ETC list, ETC list was like a buzzer beater. There's like fucking four of us on Skype yelling at each other, uh, trying to figure out the last things, and eventually just through my playtesting, like the last men standing were the Riptides. Yeah, and uh, that's how we wound up with the list. Yeah, with shield drones and a three up invuln, the Riptides they're not going to die. They sh- they shouldn't die. Well, only one can get a three-up involvement. Or two, I guess, if you use a stratagem. But it's, it's well, they all can. Well, it's, yeah, you give up a lot of shooting. Um, but, yeah, it gives you a lot of options when you have the shield drones uh, buzzing around to, to help. Oh, no, you you're out. right. Yeah, they can all take three plus. It's just yeah. you almost never would. Yeah, yeah, yeah you'd want to over. But uh, if you needed to, 
you could. I mean, with with the Tau Strat, with um, you know, being you know, with a, with a full Merker Light stack and whatever you're shooting, Tau are really good at taking out big tough units, oh, which amazing. which are uh, which are really prevalent in the meta, like Talos Knights. I <laughs> the Riptides crush Knights like like a single Knight. They will they will take them down no problem. Yeah. Um. You know, if, especially like uh, you know, not anything on a on the three up involm, but certainly if they're on their four up involm. Oh, multiple nights you eat up for forever, yeah. Four or five up you'll destroy. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really cool. I've been very surprised by the power of the list, and it's got the horde horde ish element with with the eighty bodies on the ground, but not too overwhelming. So we'll see how it does. I'm pretty excited. Nice. And um, nice. how many command points are you rocking? I didn't hear that. I didn't catch that. Uh, so altogether, it'd be two battalions in the vanguard. So I think that's thirteen. 13? 14. Vanguard 14. gives you one, right? That'd yeah, so it's 14. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, uh, yeah, I I would definitely have trouble playing that list against that list with my list. Um, if we were to play, I, th- I think i just concede to you right now. Let's get that out of the way. Wow. Well, Pablo, I mean, you are one of the best players on this podcast, so that is... a that is. Uh, I'm top three, at least. <laughs> <laughs> top top three, at the very least. Uh, Jeez. Who are you saying you're better than? Um, oh, three. shit. Top top three. Oh, you're saying top three right now. I thought you were including <laughs> Sean. I was like, you're just specifically saying you're better than somebody. Well, I was actually, yeah, I was specifically including Sean and putting Jesus, him below the me. Call outs don't even stop. Is this Holy the sound of cow. Pablo with, with, with his foot in his mouth again? Yeah, he's no. like, I don't want to make this about call outs, but I'm gonna call out everybody. Absolutely not. There's no foot in the mouth here. Sean, go to go to more tournaments, buddy. Damn. <laughs> Says, says uh, Jeff, give me trouble after after bringing Sean into the conversation with a call out mm. in the first place. Anyways, okay. we're just we're, we're just yeah. pointing fingers at this point. Yeah. All right, yeah. guys. Let's well, take the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> Th- yeah. Thanks very much for listening. Like we mentioned before, keep a, an eye out for all those tournaments coming out over the summer. Also, next week, I imagine we'll probably be talking about um, some specific rules changes. Maybe maybe chess clock rules. Um, uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, I'm going to bring in a couple TOs, um, specifically Jason Horn from the Iron Halo and any other TOs who are willing to come on. Uh, and we're just going to talk, you know, sexy, sexy tournament rules and procedures and judges and all that good stuff. Um, so look forward to that. And of course, as always, you can email me frontlinegamingpdpob at gmail.com. If you disagree with anything I had to say, if you're looking for list advice, if you want to talk to these yahoos, um, co-host next to me who by the way thank you guys for coming on mm-hmm. you can always shoot Pleasure. me an email and I will get back to you as soon as I can thanks very much for listening have a good one